Welcome to the StatCast with your hosts, Harrison Friedman and Sam Greenman. Sam, today we have reached about the quarter mark of the NBA season, and so I think it's time to talk some good old NBA, which we haven't done in a little while. Yeah, we have some interesting trends that we don't know if they're going to continue. Um, We've had a lot of postponed games. That hasn't really affected kind of our research, but fantasy team-wise, it's... uh, yeah, it's affecting the Wizards and fantasy team-wise. It's uh, making things difficult. Yeah, you've seen some games where it's like Philly versus Miami, and each of those team has each team has like eight guys or something. The games are strange. You've got like uh, who's that guy? Paul Reed on the Sixers is playing a surprising amount of minutes. KZ Okpala was playing a lot for the Heat, the Wizards. I mean, Denny Avdia got COVID. Some other people got COVID. Bradley Beal is still going strong, but Bradley Beal has just been, you know, averaging 34 and a half points a game, and his team sucks. Yeah, he's, he's lost his last 10 games in which he scored 40 or more points. Yeah, well, but they did win his game where they scored 34 a few nights back. But, I mean, maybe he should be scoring less. Is that the... They didn't win when he scored 60. I think he scored, like, 57 in, like, the first three quarters like that, and they still didn't really come all that close to winning. Get get Bradley Beal... Beal Sorry, out of uh, that absolute stinkhole in Washington, which I am totally willing to accept my being wrong on earlier on. That's a dumpster fire of a team with uh, no fits that make sense, ravaged by COVID as well, and cross them off the list. They're not they're not going dancing this year. Absolutely not. Even with the expanded dancing that we've got this year. Um, but yeah, we're going to get into all that. Uh, but in some other news this week, uh, Henry Aaron, who was a long-time uh, home run leader in baseball, one of the greatest players the sport has ever seen. Some rank him in the top five, and I think that spot is probably warranted, especially when you consider, well, some guys were doing PDs. Some guys were uh, playing in the 20s when there weren't any black players like Henry Aaron allowed in the league, and some players like Willie Mays were doing greenies. So, I mean, Henry Aaron absolutely belongs up there. The model of consistency, I may think, Sam, anything you want to say about him? No, because all the things I have to say about him um, are about him being not as good as Ted Williams. Well, that's really all we can expect from a Red Sox fan, which is understandable. No, I got, I got, tr- I got very triggered this weekend because somebody tried to tell me that H- Hank Aaron was a better hitter than, and I like went to town on. Ted Williams is the ultimate what could have happened, and yet he still is one of the top ten players of all time, which kind of blows my mind. But this is about Henry Aaron. Is there anything you specifically want to say about him? I don't know he like he. I think his last... numbers get very yeah. not like very deflated because he played in not the best run scoring environment. Yeah, and he's still like I think he he got to 755 home runs without ever having. This has been talked about ad nauseum, but he got to 755 home runs without ever getting 50 home runs in a season. He was the model of consistency, sort of like you know Stan Musial for Cardinals fans was a model of consistency. That's what Henry Aaron was. Um, he was the last Negro League player to play in Major League Baseball, and he went on for a long time. And as is expected from that era or any era, really, especially playing in the South, like Atlanta, where many times wasn't even allowed to go to like a hotel or something, he got immense amounts of hate mail. But and like so much so that in his last season, when he was getting close to, uh, I think it was last season, breaking Babe Ruth's record, was he? Was it his last season, or did he play one more? No, he played another season. Yeah, played another season after, but like. It was, he didn't get it by the end of one season, and so by the next season, like he was just a few away from Ruth, and he was getting hate, tons and tons of really disgusting hate mail and stuff like that. And he, so much so that when he went around the field 
after uh, hitting that home run to these two like college age white guys went around. They, they seemed to be the fans of it, but like he nevertheless had to fear for his life from there. And his security guard said that he put his hand on his gun at that time. But he was a record breaker in much more ways than one. And because this podcast usually starts with a certain Milo Hamilton call, and Hamilton is one of the, there are actually two incredibly famous calls of Henry Aaron's uh, home run because Vin Scully and Milo Hamilton both called it, which is kind of crazy. So we're going to get into all this basketball talk. But first, Milo Hamilton. He's sitting on 7-14. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. And welcome back to the StatCast. So, Sam, like we said, we are at the quarter market's NBA season. Teams you might expect, like the Los Angeles Lakers, are the best team in basketball. They've been dominating teams. The Sixers, whom many were expecting, like this is the kind of season, this is the season they finally break through, have absolutely made that breakthrough, even though COVID's hit their team. Uh, Joel Embiid's had back injuries. But outside of those teams, and I guess the Clippers coming up top two, who are the biggest surprises to you in a good way during this NBA season? I don't know if it's a good way, but the Jazz, I just don't like them, but they're 14-4 and four right now, and they have just been, I believe they've won eight or nine straight, right? Something like that. The Jazz, yeah. Mike Conley has been terrific for them this year. Uh, Jordan Clarkson, who, Mizzou guy, who not really many people talked about as being like, the six men of the year candidate now seems like the a shoe in for the spot. Rudy go uh, Rudy Gobert obviously has been very good. Donovan Mitchell has been terrific on offense. Is there any anything sticking out to you from that Jazz team that you want to talk about? Well, the thing with the Jazz is they have one solid lineup that they kind of work around, and it's just it's their most played lineup by far, and it's their starting lineup, and it's got a twenty net rating, a plus twenty. It's Conley, Bogdanovich, Gobert, O'Neal, and Mitchell. It's got a 119 offensive rating and a 99 uh, defensive rating. That's an interesting lineup. I can't say that I, being on the East Coast, I can't say that I watch a lot of jazz games. They play a little later. But Royce O'Neal is this the guy who's just in your sort of glue guy mold and your PJ Tucker, that sort of deal kind of thing, has been really evolving into one of the better glue guys, I guess, if that's not really a category. But for the purpose of this, we can say it is. And that offense surprised me because the Jazz have always been a good defensive team. But the def- I've a good defensive, but yeah, the offense is really interesting. Do you think Mike Conley this year, like the guy that many expected him to be last year, remember last year when they made that trade and people were like, oh, Jazz is maybe possible finals content in like Not me, not me. League. Not you. Uh, I don't remember what I said about that. But this is a t- this is a year with like more serious contenders unlike last year we didn't know what the Lakers were going to look like. We didn't know what the Bucks necessarily were going to look like. I don't know if everyone had them as like the number 1 team in the East, but they didn't really they they kind of fell short of that mark. But this year Conley seems to actually be healthy. He's not probably and hopefully not the same guy who uh 
bricked what would have been the series winning three against um, Denver last year in game seven at the buzzer. But do they smell like a team that actually could be a Western Conference finals kind of team? Or are they doomed to flame out in the first or second round? I think they're very similar to the Nuggets of last year where their team cohesion is very good. They have a very well-defined game plan, which is to out-defend the other team. Um, A lot of their games are going to hit the under for the betters. Um, I don't think, I don't see them getting past the big, um, you know, teams, Clippers, Lakers, but I definitely think that they have a great chance to get to the semis, at least when the first round, maybe when the second round. Yeah. And the thing about them, they would most likely be matching up against the Clippers, right? Uh, would they? I mean, who do you, who else do you think is going to do? They're probably going to be the three seed. Clippers are probably going to be the two seed, right? Yeah. Very similar to what we had back in um, 2019, or I guess 2020. That was 2020 with uh, the Nuggets versus the Clippers, and the Nuggets pulling out sort of an insane thing. Clippers obviously look terrific this year. We're, we'll talk about them in a few. But do you think that like the the strengths the Jazz have are kind of the opposite of the strengths that the Clippers have? In that the Jazz have guys like Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell, and I really do not like uh, the how the backcourt looks for the Clippers. The Jazz have Rudy Gobert, and the Clippers can't really say anything like as far as like that kind of rim protector. Now, is it possible that Kawhi Leonard really is going to be this like very good playmaker that we've seen from him so far this season? Of course it is. Is it possible that Paul George is going to keep shooting at a frankly insane rate? He's going for a 50-50-90 season right now, which means he's shooting 50% on threes, which is nuts, and clearly wants to prove the haters wrong or something along those lines. But the Jazz have decent enough wing defenders, if not, like, huge size outside of Gobert. Uh, do you think this is a team that, like, could sneakily be able to score a lot of points against a not-great defensive backcourt for uh, the Clippers? Or is the Clippers just overall talent level uh, too scary? I know this is looking pretty far ahead, but I kind of like how the Jazz match up against them, similarly to how, like, the Nuggets match up against them, except I would say the Jazz probably have better wing defense. I think it's an interesting point that you bring up that kind of right where the str- the strengths uh, of the Jazz, which is, you know, a center and the backcourt, are kind of the weak spots of the Clippers. The Clippers have, you know, their amazing wings. Zubac, really not that great a defender. Uh, Beverly is a defender, but I don't know how many positions he can guard at his height. Um, and Batum, Reggie Jackson's are other yeah, Reggie Jackson and Batum are, are going to play the two and the four, I would think. Um, aside the two from, in the, oh, when they play, yeah, at least, yeah, yeah, that when they play, that that's what they would play, and those aren't great options defensively. So I think I it's I again it's the Nuggets of last year. I think it's a very fair comparison. Um, where maybe the Jazz can catch can catch the Clippers, you know, where they need some help right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, Jordan Clarkson kind of is the new uh, Lou Williams, but actually, you know, Clarkson can play more than a lick of defense, which uh, Lemon Pepper Lou can't really do. And like, also, he disappears in the playoffs every single year. I think he like is pretty much worthless in the playoffs at this point. I don't know. He's almost unplayable even. But my worry is that Gobert is not the kind of creator that Jokic is, and he was the kind of person who really kept them in. I mean, would you be super surprised to see Donovan Mitchell, like, go insane again like he did last year no right mm, it depends who they put it put on him if they put leonard or george then it's gonna be tough that's true but then nobody can guard uh 
crafty Joe Ingles. Joe Ingles isn't getting that much playing time. It's Bogdanovich who's <laughs> yeah. the, the crafty white guy. Yeah, that's that that does worry me a little bit because I mean it's nice that you got guys like Royce O'Neal who can defend, but also you might be sticking uh, Joe Ingles or Bojan Bogdanovic, the the lesser known Bogdanovic, but the one who's healthy this year, is those guys on Kawhi and PG. If Kawhi and PG are willing to like take it to them every single night, then that is a little scary. Might be like higher scoring than you expect almost between those two teams. I don't think it will be actually. No. No, I think the Clippers are very good at playing defense, and so are the Jazz. Yeah. I think that's as far as I I need to read into that. Yeah, but it's always like interesting to see where they're good at playing defense. Because, I mean, like most teams have a lot of good wing scores or something like that, like your Tatum and Brown or your Harden and Katie or something along those lines, or LeBron, also AD, but like the guys that the Clippers match up with. But the Jazz are, Jazz are a little friskier. The Jazz and the Nuggets, like... That weird uh, small guys plus the center combo. I don't know. I, the, the Jazz being like actually good this year and not just like theoretically good excites me because there's another team that I want to talk about as a disappointment, the Denver Nuggets. Hmm. Have you gotten any stats on them? or any? No, actually. They, yeah. I looked at their lineups uh, and really nothing jumped out at me. Yeah. The thing about Denver this year is I think a lot of it can just be marked down to the fact that Jamal Murray looks like human. I don't know. He was not human in the bubble, and he's suddenly just turned into a pretty run-of-the-mill, like, uh, he seems like the kind of guy who would play on the Spurs right now. Like, in the DeJounte, like he seems like more DeJounte Murray than Jamal Murray right now, but without the DeJounte Murray defense, and that's a little worrisome. Yeah, Jokic is trying to make up for it, as I'm sure everybody has noticed. But yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's I feel it's the Jazz and the Nuggets are kind of, you know, replacing each other in terms of hierarchy. Yeah. And you almost feel like the Nuggets have a higher ceiling than the Jazz just because of like the difference between Jokic and Gobert, even though, you know, Jokic doesn't really play defense and Gobert doesn't do that much offense besides dunking the ball a bunch. But um, have you checked out Jokic's stats? He's averaging 25 a game, 12 rebounds per game and nine assists per game. And I've actually watched a decent amount of Nuggets basketball, and they're, like, one of the more inconsistent in the league. Like, they're, the record they have now is absolutely, like, indicative of what kind of team they are because they just play up and down the entire time. I, I know that they're, like, 11-7, and seven, and so, I mean, their talent wins out more often than not, especially, like, for instance, they played the Heat the other night. had basically nobody on the floor, really, to play against. Like, Precious Achu is playing way too many minutes. But this Nuggets team, it's just, uh, like, Gary Harris is good, right? Michael Porter Jr. has been either injured or has COVID, so he's been mostly a non-factor. They're obviously missing Jeremy Grant, who's lighting up uh, Detroit at the moment, which, sure, I'll accept that is uh, something which is happening right now. But what do, you, what do we do with, like, this Jamal Murray thing? Because he's missing shots a bunch. He's taking, like, the kind of shots that, you were, that he was doing in the bubble that were swishing in. Did not really do anything. He punched, I think Tim. it was Tim Hardaway Jr. in the balls the other night for really no reason other than, like, he thought Hardaway fouled him, so he just ran by him and, like, sharked him right between the legs. And so I don't know if Jamal Murray is okay right now. I don't know what kind of headspace that he's in, if he needs that bubble space a little bit, because that, that clearly limits the team even while Jokic is playing at an MVP level. It's either the Denver air or the fact that he's Canadian that's getting him mixed up, I think. Can't go home. Yeah. Uh, but in all seriousness, I it's kind of a Donovan Mitchell syndrome where, you know, 
he's kind of trying to focus on one thing and as a result he's not playing offensively that well remember Mitchell I think he started pretty poorly last year did he not he did yeah and then he ramped it up by the time the bubble happened but yeah he was slumping pretty big at the beginning yeah I think Murray and Mitchell are almost the same player yeah that that comes up a lot I think Murray's a better shooter by a little bit and I probably would prefer Mitchell like as my floor general even though like Murray's more of a pure point guard but can't agree with you there I don't know. Maybe, do you think, I think we overvalued, I've been like seeing this a little bit. I think we overvalued um, Murray a little bit in the bubble because of the guards he was going up against. But then I remember like the fact that he was just hitting these shots against like basically completely flummoxed defenses that like there was nothing you could do to stop. And he was falling down. He was doing that kind of thing. Now Jokic is doing that. Now Jokic, like, have you been watching any Jokic this season? Yeah, none of his shots look look like they should go in. Yeah, he's just like, cause you know he's this big kind of doughy guy. He's just like dodging to one side, flipping the ball up. There was this nuts pass that he made the other night that I saw, where he got the ball, and like at its high point, just tapped it down to the other side of the lane for an easy layup for another guy in the Nuggets. I think it might have been Gary Harris or something like that. Jokic is like on another echelon of of his basketball IQ right now. If he was like built and super athletic i think he might just be dominating the league at i don't know like bill walton 1976 trailblazers type levels which i mean maybe the lakers and everyone are thankful that he's not doing that but my goodness Jokic looks unstoppable that's that's the entire reason why the nuggets are 11 and 7 right now yeah remember when he got covid and then said he said he's gonna lose a lot of weight and then didn't Yeah, he probably just like, you know, ate in his room and couldn't work out for a little bit. I mean, I don't know where he was going to lose the weight doing that. I think COVID is not the kind of, it's not like bulimia or something like that or Freeman know, lost diarrhea. Lost like That's true. Pounds. But that was like a real serious case of COVID. Usually I feel like with COVID, sit home, watch TV, hope that uh, you don't die. A lot more coughing and a lot less uh, expelling fluids. Uh, but anyway, off of that subject. Um, which, do you want to switch to the Eastern Conference right now and talk about another team? I think they've been a little disappointing. They've gotten, they've improved in like the past couple of weeks, but this te- they don't strike me as a title contender, even though they really should be. And that's the Milwaukee Bucks. Hmm. I don't know why you say that because I think they have the best, uh, one of the best lineups, uh, in the business. And it's yeah. weird because it doesn't have Middleton in it. Interesting. So they they have a three man lineup. The three-man combination of Brooke Lopez, Giannis, and Dante DiVincenzo. Really? How yeah. many minutes of that team that Atlanta played? Uh, enough to be one of like their top ten three-man. Huh. So how how are they doing? Uh, one hundred and twenty offensive rating, one hundred nine defensive rating. Okay. Sixty-two point eight percent true shooting percentage. My goodness. I mean, like, maybe that's uh what you need to do with Giannis because I've heard people talking about uh the the thing with Giannis at the beginning of the season is he just looked like a little too timid. It didn't. It, I'm sure that for guys who a lot of their um, play is predicated on drawing a ton of fouls, that like at the beginning of the season, the refs are more likely to call, call the ticky-tacky stuff. There's no prison or something like that. But Giannis just looked a little off at the beginning of the season. Now, obviously, like he got 24, 18, and 9 the, the other night, which was terrific, and I went over the Raptors. But do you think that, um, I don't know, Giannis... He hasn't been hitting his free throws, which is something that people have been touching on. And 
it just doesn't make a lot of sense for Giannis to keep trying shooting those threes. Like, he just hasn't been uh, terrific from the three-point line this season. And as much as he, like, has said that he's been trying to work on it, I mean, the guy's shooting 30% from three. That's not ever going to be the kind of thing that, like, you know how, like, Embiid does that thing at the top of the break where sometimes he ends up with the ball, then he shoots it, and you're like, oh, my God, we that's that's really what's going to beat our team tonight? I'm sure it's a Celtics. It's, well, I usually see him getting fouled. Down low, yeah. And yeah. we're going to talk about Embiid. But with Giannis, like, the guy isn't a threat from the three-point line. Maybe instead of shooting his threes, he should have been practicing his free throws more. Or instead of that, maybe he should have been practicing more moves in the post because he kind of looks like the same guy that he was last season. And if that's all he's going to be, which, first of all, I don't believe it's all he's going to be. all he's going to be, an MVP? Man, that stinks. Listen, he's averaging 27, 10.5, and, and 5.5 and this year, which those are incredible stats. The guy is great. But, I mean, if you combine those three numbers, it's probably about what LeBron combines. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I kind of wish he was, you know, evolving his game a little bit more. I mean, he turned 26 over the offseason. And so, like, he's, appro- he's approaching what many people call the prime at 27. Clearly, like, I don't know, LeBron shows the, your prime can last forever. But it LeBron kind of took a while before he developed a three-point shot, right? Yeah, he, it, was un- it wasn't really until Miami that he actually got a good three-point shot. And so, like, you're, I'm wondering with Giannis, like, first of all, what I, they, have, they ha- haven't run a lot of pick-and-rolls, which, you know, Mike Budenholzer hates his pick-and-rolls. And Giannis, like, in the pick-and-roll just seems, like, so deadly to me that that wouldn't be great. I heard an interesting suggestion, actually, which is, you know, those crunch time minutes where they... So this is the big deal, basically. In crunch time, Giannis has not been great. And the reason for that, there are a few reasons. The biggest reason is probably that um, he hasn't been shooting his free throws well. And when you're not... he's not shooting his free throws well, then that's a player that guys are more willing to foul if he can't, like get a good enough shot over there. And also, like, if they're double-teaming him, he's got to be making the right pass. And also, he doesn't seem to have the kind of post moves that you need to have, like, someone like Embiid has. Embiid is a great closer. First of all, Embiid is actually shooting really well from the free-throw line this year. I think you saw he was shooting over 80%. But Embiid's post moves are some of the best in the game. Do you think... Do you agree with that? Yeah. And, like, that kind of ability is just not something that Giannis shows because, you know... During the end of games, it gets a lot more like half-court type of offense. And Giannis, while he is maybe easily, the actually, I would say, the most dominant guy we've had since LeBron in, um, like, running, running the floor, like running the break, it doesn't really work as well like when he's just, you know, trying to create down lower in the post. So this interesting suggestion I saw was that run pick and rolls, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, in these crunch time minutes, try to get a switch, try to get spacing. Maybe you have Brooke Lopez or Dante DiVincenzo in the corner or something like that that they can pass to and have Giannis in the dunker spot. It's sort of like an uber Clint Capella kind of guy. Like he'll clean up all the the rebounds. He's surely going to like the fact that you have Giannis like there for an easy two points is going to draw at least some sort of, you know, respect from the defense. And so if like since he can't create, he's not going to like, um, I don't know have a good spot on the perimeter. Like if, if Giannis gets the ball at the top of the key with like 10 seconds left in the shot clock, if you can just like have two guys in front of him or have like a big enough guy in front of him who's totally willing to foul him before he can get his arms up and, and you know that also they're going to be sagging off Giannis and waiting for him to drive, then it's kind of a useless possession, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think Giannis, the only point and sh- the only reason that he shoots 
those threes is because if he makes them, then it kind of makes the defender, you know, guard him a little bit closer. Yeah, but, I mean, if he misses the first one of the game, the defender is just not going to even play close to him for the rest of the game. So, I mean, when you're shooting 30%, then you're basically saying, oh, yeah, in one out of every three games, the defender might respect me. But that's not really what you want. You want the defender to be respecting every time. So, Giannis, like, little more stuff in the post, maybe a little more of stuff to, like, you know, draw the defenders to where he's actually going to be more lethal. Budenholzer, again... Budenholzer gets this every year. Is like, are they doing enough for Giannis to like make a lot of sense? And so I don't know. I guess we'll see what we, I guess we will see what happens. At the very least, he's playing him more minutes. But I think that's just because they're in close. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Any other thoughts that you have on the Milwaukee Bucks? Mm, no, I think this slow start is very much um, Drew Holiday kind of getting used to this team. It's weird because he's literally fitting in the exact same role that Bledsoe was. Yeah, and I mean. Like they're a little bit different players. I feel like Bledsoe is like a little thicker than Holiday is. Holiday is more of like um get on you kind of guy, play really really tough defense. Maybe Bledsoe gets a little more pokes, but Holiday has been a terrific on ball defense. Yeah. All right. Let's get into what has been the best team in the uh, regardless of what anyone else says. Uh, I know you're a Celtics fan, but let's talk. They've been hit by COVID. I don't know. So uh, Tatum hasn't played nearly. But let's talk about the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. We got any stats on them? Yeah, they have an insane lineup that's actually been played 30 minutes, which Tell is me. A, which is a decent amount, and they're 7-0 when they use it. Which so lineup? when they when they have a five-man lineup of Tobias Harris, Seth Curry, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and Shake Milton, oh, their net their net their net rating in 30 minutes is 53. <laughs> 134 Holy offensive crap. rating, 81 defensive rating. They oh get 41% of available offensive rebounds, 64% of available rebounds in general, and it's 65.2 true shooting percentage. Oh my! <laughs> like I had a little bit of Seth Curry stuff, and I know obviously Tobias Harris has been really stepping up this year, but just hearing that is kind of nuts to comprehend. Like, yeah, you know, I like Shake Milton. Yeah, that's I think that's what the, I think that's what makes the lineup honestly. Is yeah. Shake Milton. I agree too. Like people were talking him up in the bubble as like, oh, maybe Shake Milton is the key to pulling it all together. And I think that was a little premature. Milton, I don't know if he was quite ready, but he clearly has trained as if like he was the key to putting this all together. And Seth Curry has been an absolute revelation. Sam, when I ask you what do you think Steph Curry is shooting? Oh, sorry, Seth F Curry. Seth is uh shooting on uh catch and shoot this year, what percentage he's got. What do you think it is? I've watched a lot of Sixers games. I would say 65%. The crazy thing is, is while that number is ludicrous, he's actually shooting 61.5% from catch and shoot. And you know what he was last year? An amazing 48.5%, which was near the tops of the league. Like, he was one of the best in the business last year. This year, there are, like, some more people who are just better at catch and shoot this year. I don't know. Yeah, there's been a shooting kind of boom early in the year. Yeah, but Seth Curry has been nuts. And also, the thing about Curry is that, like, He's so good with zero dribbles, but anything else, and he sucks. He's 27.8% on pull-up threes. So, like, the people talk about Ben McLemore and the Rockets. I've, I watched a lot of Rockets. You know, I'm a Rockets fan. And with McLemore, they always say if he takes one dribble, if the guy, like, jumps out at him to make him, like, readjust his shot, he's not making it. But if he catches and shoots in rhythm, he's got it. That's, that's Seth Curry this year. He's been just setting the world on fire. And so that's been nuts to watch. Um. What about Joel Embiid? 
Would you say that he is one of the two front runners for MVP this year? Uh, aside from LeBron, LeBron James. yeah, yes, yes, yeah. I would say Jokic and Embiid are probably one and two. I would say Jokic is three because I think LeBron has just been that good this year, and he clearly wants. Well, yeah, it. aside from LeBron, I never really know what to do with LeBron for MVP. Yeah. I think with LeBron, you got to decide if he wants it that year, if he doesn't want it that year. It seemed like apparently he wanted it last year, which it he only kind of turned it on the last couple of months, so that's why he didn't get it. But when LeBron wants the MVP, when he thinks that it's th- his year to get the MVP like he does this year, only a completely healthy Joel Embiid, which, by the way, LeBron last night tried very hard to stop from being a thing and actually injured him so much that like he probably isn't going to play in his next game. Um, Le- LeBron, when, when LeBron wants to get the MVP, he's going to get the MVP. And like we saw in Cleveland a couple nights ago, we'll talk about the Lakers when we get to them, but that was some like best player in basketball type. That was like one of the best player ever, players ever type of stuff. But with Embiid, what he's been doing this year has been so simple. Like all he does is just like he knows that he's like the league has shifted away from having like these big lumbering centers. And so he's fine with that. He's lighter on his feet than you'd expect from a guy his size. He's got this wide array of post moves. He's hitting his free throws at a terrific where he's getting to the free throw line at really James Harden-esque greats. And I know that, like, we talked before the season about, like, how interesting a pairing of Harden and Embiid would be just because, like, uh, they're such dominant isolation players and they completely draw the attention of the defense. Embiid doesn't... It doesn't matter if Embiid... Like, clearly, it doesn't matter if Embiid has Ben Simmons out there sometimes when he's doing his stuff because he's just been that good. When they send a second guy to him, he's been making the right pass. Or he's just been like, yeah, I can handle a second guy. So he does that terrific up and under where he draws the foul pretty much every time and can finish a lot of them because he's so damn strong. And the, the fact that the lineup isn't doing the, is doing that well doesn't really surprise me, even with Simmons, because, you know, because Tobias Harris has been proving he can actually create his own shot really well this season. He had that game winner against the Lakers last night. Uh, obviously, Seth Curry and Shake Milton can shoot from anywhere. And Ben Simmons has sort of been revitalized as a cutter. Have you been watching yeah. that, like, in uh, Sixers games? Uh, I mean, Ben Simmons is a bust. I think, you know, if you're referring to him as a cutter, I think that's, you know, has he kind of, <laughs> has he kind of just, like, given up on his whole, like, three-point uh, thing? Yes. Yes. Ben Simmons is an offensive non-factor for the most part. But, like, I would love to see Ben Simmons cutting on a team that had Jokic on it instead of Embiid, because as much of, as good a passer as Embiid is, Jokic is, like, ungodly. But Simmons has been doing a lot of smart cuts. He clearly can't really create his own shot. His drives, they're fine. They don't happen very often, and the defender doesn't respect him whatsoever, the three-point line. So, like, he's not going to, you know, trick you and go off the dribble. Like, obviously, he's good in the half court. But Simmons is just, like, fill the box, box score up, like, tall... Uh, Rondo, I guess, from like back in the Celtics days, and be a good floor general. The the Sixers do have a lot of really smart basketball players in that lineup, which I think is really helpful in like them being that good of a team. Obviously, like Curry is the only guy on that team, like on in that lineup, that I think can't create his own shot all that well, or I, not create his own shot, but you know, be a good passer and good um and good ball handler. Yeah, I think I think it's kind of a thing where you're saying like curry really cannot shoot after he dribbles it's like 
I can just imagine that as a fan, like him taking one dribble and then like <laughs> everyone's saying like, no, your hands going on your face, like oh, how could you do this? <laughs> yeah, I think he, I think he is shooting like sixty five percent or something like that when he doesn't take any dribbles, and it goes down by like twenty percent when he even takes a single dribble, and like when he takes like th- three or four, it just just drops precipitous. It makes no sense, like that the fact that that's something. But I guess like it's hard to run him off the line when he's so wide open all the time, and like I don't know. It's this is a little interesting, like on a Ben Sim, a team with Ben Simmons like that. But it's because, unlike Giannis, Embiid actually has an okay three point shot. I don't know. It's the difference. But also that post game, the Embiid's post game makes defenders have to like uh, and the three point shot. I don't. Know, he's a better shooter than Giannis. Like it just seems a little, uh, I don't know, more sure handed. I guess Giannis is just gonna dunk everything and get those layups because there's almost no one who is as strong as him. And doing that kind of stuff, but you can kind of slow him. And like he's been way too be- willing to be slowed down this year. Like when he gets fouled, and you know, he's only making fifty eight percent of his free throws. Let's yeah. talk about. We talked about Seth Curry in his really incredible pull up shooting, but there is a guy that I'm a little worried about. Uh, Duncan Robinson is leading the NBA in catch and shoot three pointers, and it's more than last year. He's at seven point two per game this year versus six point in twenty nineteen, but. Have you been paying attention to Duncan Robinson this year at all? Paying attention to the Heat, and they suck. Yeah. Well, they suck a lot because, you know, Tyler Hero has been injured. A lot of their guys haven't been able to play. But Duncan Robinson last season shot 46%. Very good. It was near the top in the league on catch and shoot last year, which when you're shooting nearly seven of them a game is nuts. But this year, while it's still good, it's nowhere near like the kind of elite level shooter. He's only shooting 39.3% on catch and shoot threes. And the theory that I have, I delved into the stats a little bit more, trying to see what had changed about, like, the kind of shots that he was shooting. And so there's been a distinct difference. So he has gone up by, uh, sorry, he's he's gone up by 0.7 attempts per game with two to four um, feet of space between him him and the nearest defender. And he's gone down by 0.7 shots per game, threes per game. Where he the nearest defender is like uh, six or I think like six plus feet away from. Him. So those shots, I mean, he's shooting those uh, shots where he's wide, wide open at an even better clip this year. He was shooting forty five percent of them last year, and he's shooting fifty four percent of them this year. But when you're shooting a shot that you're not that great at, and he's only shooting thirty five percent on those shots where he's um, got someone like pretty close to him, that's the kind of thing that uh, suddenly makes a guy like like I don't know, he's got respect on his name. People are actually respecting like this guy instead of like this strange tall white guy who they clearly have never heard of before this year because you know he's a rookie from with a weird G League uh, undrafted kind of story, but um, people are respecting him. He's not getting open shots, and even though he's making the open ones, he's not looking that great because he's not getting a lot of open. Yeah, I, th- I think the way you kind of presented that kind of painted him in the bad picture. He's not taking like fewer open shots because he's choosing to. Yeah, you know, exactly. Being guarded more closely. Yeah. And he's not, you know, I mean, he is missing his shots on a little at a little bit higher rate than he was last year. It also is impactful to the fact that he went from shooting nearly 48% on like those mid kind of shots where like you've got a defender kind of closing, but you're probably not going to, he's probably not going to get in your face. Those kind of shots where he shoots the most of, most people shoot the most of, uh, he's gone down by about 8% on those too, which is kind of, so that's, which is not great for him, even though those his most common shots. It's just like, yeah, people respect him more. He's kind of been figured out. Obviously, without Tyler Hero being healthy and like 
you know, drawing the defense's attention a lot or Goran Dragic being able to play every game, drawing the defense's attention. But defenders are absolutely willing to just play as close as possible to Duncan Robinson. And that's kind of uh, the thing. Because, you know, this is my I, I feel like this with taller guys. Because Robinson is like a, he's what six eight, right? Uh, six seven, six eight, yeah. Yeah, he's he's got a little bit higher up to go to shoot the shot. I don't know, like I feel like he's more liable to uh, have trouble with hands in his face than a guy who's like six foot three and just you know the shot goes out real quick, which is probably just totally fake. I don't really know that. I don't know if that stands up in any test whatsoever, but. I don't know. We shouldn't. We should not be relying on the eye test here, and I'm relying on the eye test a bit. It's very much. I, I really don't know if that. I don't know because KD obviously. Um, how about we switch to? We've we've talked about you know kind of skirted around the best teams in basketball, which are right now I would say the Lakers and the Clippers. Let's talk about the Clippers first. Uh, so they have a best used, a best and most used five man lineup. Um. And here it is. It's Ibaka, Batum, Beverly, Paul George, and Kawhi. Uh, it's plus 25, so 120 uh, offensive rating, 95 defensive rating. The secret is any combination of three of any of those guys is about plus 18. Wow. So if they have any three of those guys and two other scrubs, then they're plus 18. Hearing that kind of lineup, I'm not surprised that they've got like that 95 defensive rating right there because that lineup just screams defense and by the way anything under 100 uh, for defense is very good and over like what 105 ish is really is good for offense but yeah like Kawhi has been great this year Ibaka Ibaka is sorely needed by that team like that's that's the that's the kind of the solution they have to someone like Gobert or Jokic this year is the fact that they've got Ibaka which was clearly not the case in previous years and people were wondering if Ibaka was you know gonna hold up this year but it seems like he has thus far in Batum obviously like uh <laughs> how quickly it goes from being the 27 million dollar man in Charlotte to being like the 1.5 million dollar man in uh the on the Clippers and suddenly his entire outlook changes right yeah and he's also not being paid to be a star it's kind of the opposite of Gordon Hayward who is proving that he is absolutely worth 30 million dollars a year but probably wouldn't have proved that if he was on the Celtics yeah so exactly he isn't yeah he's worth it for Charlotte apparently at least for one year um but yeah, I want to talk about Paul George because Paul George is proving the haters wrong. Absolutely. So Paul George, famed for, I th- infamous for, remember when he hit that shot off the three off the side of the backboard from the corner? Yeah. In game seven, he was like, oh, Clippers are toast. He's oh, yeah. been totally the opposite this year. So Paul George has just been shooting out of his mind this year. So his, uh, Paul George first is fourth total. Unless of pull-up percentage with 44.2% this year. Um, he's shooting... Remember those threes that Duncan Robinson was shooting 53.8% on? Those wide-open ones? Paul George is shooting 58.6% on those la- this year. So all of his three-point percentages, like of like two to four feet of space, which is pretty close, uh, four to six, which is you know sort of medium, and then six plus, which you're pretty wide open, he's gone up by uh, nearly 11%. From the two, those two to four range, which is not, he's shooting forty four percent with like a hand in his face, which is better than Duncan Robinson was last season. He's shooting forty five percent when he's like decently open, and like I said, he's shooting nearly fifty nine percent when he's wide, wide open. And so for PG, who's also been like getting to the basket a bunch, is really spacing the floor well for them. Is the absolute beneficiary of Kawhi 
being such a good passer, or Baca being a good passer, Batum has always been a good passer. It's like this it's this weird form of playmaking where you don't have any pure point guards. I would not really call Beverly a pure point guard. He's more of a pure point guard defender, but they're creating enough offense. There's like enough enough like basketball IQ going around there and guys who can make the kind of moves that the offense is working for them, even without that kind of distributor. Like you don't need a Rubio, for instance, on that kind of team. Have you watched much Clips basketball this year? <sighs> it sucks because every good team's on the West Coast, and I hate it. I know. Like a lot. Yeah, like, I mean, maybe you can watch first couple quarters or something like that, or if, like, they play on uh, ESPN against, like, the Lakers against the Sixers last night. That was great because they played on ESPN. Um, it was, like, a 7 o'clock game or something like that, and they were playing in Philly. And so it was really fun to watch. I enjoyed it. but I enjoyed I, it as well. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get to see LeBron James like that every single night. And the games, like, when he played in Cleveland the other night, I also got to watch that because, you know, playing in the Midwest. But, yeah, a lot of Lakers games are on the other side. That, that kind of sucks. I don't know. Like, it, I guess it's easier for people on the West Coast just to uh, discuss that kind of stuff because the same time that these games are, like, the East Coast games are ending for us, that's when the West Coast games are ending for them. But I guess you take what you can get. We've I, I've watched a lot more Eastern Conference basketball than I used to being in Boston. I can definitely. But let's talk about those Lakers because their last two games have really been interesting to me. One of them was against the Cavs, which, you know, LeBron in Cleveland, he loves playing Cleveland, and he goes hard in them. Like, But Cleveland has been phenomenal this year on defense, and they've just been a real pesky kind of team. And Colin Sexton is making an all-star case. What do you think? you think Colin Sexton goes to the all-star game this year? Uh, I think Sexland as a whole should go to the uh, all-star game. Sexland is absolute. Sexland is more just sex. I'm sorry, Darius Garland, but like I mean, Colin Sexton is the one who is uh, coming to his own. Give Darius Garland another year. This is Sexton's third year. He's only just becoming like um, up to like De'Aaron Fox level. Although he's above De'Aaron Fox level now. But I love their big lineups. It's a shame Larry Nance is injured because he was good with those. But Andre Drummond, my goodness, like what 33 and 23 one night. Like he's just just racking up these nuts boards. So I was like, he and Clint Capella. They're, there's at some point this year, there's going to be some record set for like number of rebounds in a game. It's probably, I mean, it's probably not going to happen because I think that number is pretty high. But do you like Drummond could get thirty and thirty on a night, right? Uh, if he really had to, then probably. But I mean, the Nets, the Cavs have been playing teams like the Nets, which you know it's easy to be up on bad teams. <laughs> yeah, you, you'll notice we've been talking about the Lakers right now. We haven't talked about the Nets. We'll talk about them in a sec. But yeah, there have been. Um, at least as far as 2017, there were 147 recorded 30-30 games of all time. A lot of them are, you know, Bill Russell kind of stuff, Kareem. Uh, uh, and Will Chamberlain obviously has a ton. Kevin Love has one, which, geez, remember good Kevin Love in those Minnesota days? Yeah, should have been an MVP one year. Reminds me of Carl Anthony Towns in a lot of ways, just saying. Like, like imagine, I don't know, if the Nets, instead of... Uh, I don't know how it would have happened, but like the Nets, instead of trading for Harden, decided that they really wanted Cat on their team. They would still be like, man, imagine, that, yeah, their defense would have just improved so much. <laughs> it can't get any worse than it is right now. But about the Lakers, yeah. Um, one thing that I did notice that I had written down was that so, of all players in the league with two plus uh, three point attempts per game, Alex Caruso is number two overall. KCP is number four, Kawhi is third, Paul George is fifth, and Marcus Morris is sixth. All those guys are shooting 52.9% from three or higher, 
which is crazy. Not for Marcus Morris. Once again, I know that he's good. But I'm talking about like Alex Caruso is the second best three point shooter in the league. When did I that mean, happen? He benefits, from, he benefits from always being the fifth best guy on the court. That's true. He you does have more open shots. And KCP, but like KCP is, remember when, P, mentioned again in PJ Tucker, but PJ Tucker used to have that shot from the corner. That was his shot. That's KCP's shot right now. Le- the left corner on the on the left side of the court. It's good. It's it's good every time you see it. But yeah, he and Caruso are clearly benefiting from LeBron just, uh, you know, deciding he wants to be MVP. And LeBron has looked spry this year. LeBron is making his three-pointers this year. Uh, in that game against the Cavs that we mentioned, he was just making every kind of shot that you could imagine. Like, he's making these insane pull-up long twos. He's shooting from the logo. And, you know, Cavs logo is the C kind of stretches out a little bit, but he was still making them. LeBron is looking great this year. And, like, the Lakers, we already knew we were title favorites. But LeBron is just showing, like, how much better I think that team is than anybody else. Like, I don't think I've even said Anthony Davis more than once this podcast. Do you, do you want to hear what their secret is? Tell me. LeBron and AD are plus 15 with any combination. Yeah. That, I mean. Shocking, right? And those guys play like when That's they. That's the only thing I yeah. found was that like, well, when LeBron and AD are on the court, they're significantly better. And yeah. I thought to myself, hmm. I wonder why that could be. Yeah. Maybe when you get like who powerhouses who are both terrific two-way players and are also both top five players in the league they you know perform super super duper well i noticed you had to stop yourself when you you were about to say when you have two of the best players in the league because you know the nets have two if not three <laughs> of the best players in the league the nets stay. all the, the the top five in the nba always runs like seven or eight it's not really because like you know it's always debatable because the nets have like uh they've got durant and harden but i'm talking about two-way players I mean, I think Durant's a terrific two-way player. I don't think he's on LeBron or ADs, although I think he's terrific. But let's, yeah, let's let's end our basketball discussion by talking about, I would say... Um, Orlando. No. Don't even... No, sorry. I can't... Come on. I have... You're gonna... I have... You have to hear it. Tell me. Fine. Tell me this thing about Orlando, which makes my heart hurt, because you know Markel Fultz is out for... Tell me. So th- they have... In a five-man lineup, I have two five-man lineups where there are two most played. Okay. Vucevic, James Ennis, Aaron Gordon, and Dwayne Bacon are all are on both of them. These Cole are, Anthony and what? Markel Fultz. These are their two most played okay. lineups. Okay. Cole Anthony and Markel Fultz are the fifth on each of those. The Cole Anthony lineup has an offensive rating of 113 and a defensive rating of 90. Ooh, Cole Anthony. The Markel Fultz lineup has an offensive rating of 98. Mm. A defensive rating of 125. You know, that sure reminds me of something from last season. But but you know what they're missing right now? I think it's clear, like, as clear as day. DJ oh. Augustine. No, Cole Anthony is the DJ Augustine replacement. I know he is, except with, you know, better defense and everything like that. Cole Anthony, man. Like, that that makes me happy. We had Ari on the pod, I don't know when, during the draft, talking about talking up Cole Anthony and, like, you know, he's not putting up maybe the stats that you might want to see of a rookie of the year. I don't think he's going to get it with the guys like Wiseman, LaMelo, Tyrese Halliburton, whomever. If I, if I can butt in with Wiseman, yeah, Golden State's most two most played lineups have oh, a, have like yeah. a four have a four man base, with Wiseman and Looney being the fifth. Mm-hmm. Wiseman is a net minus eighteen mm, in that yes. five man lineup, and Looney is a plus eight forty three. <laughs> that just shows you how like. 
I keep going back to this, but Wiseman, like, he's the exact kind of player who, like, ends up with 20 and 10. You're like, oh, wow, Wiseman, 20 and 10. You're like, oh, wait, everything was just, like, on a lob from Curry, uh, passed by Draymond, like, uh, just a dunk, you know, in the half court or something like that. Wiseman is— Every man was off of a free throw. Yeah. Wiseman isn't creating anything for the team. Like, he's finishing stuff, sure, but the man— is not good enough to play defense. You know, he's 19 years old and he's playing for a team that actually has like championship aspirations, at least in some sense of the word, or at the very least like uh, Western Conference Finals aspirations. I mean, Steph Curry still is on the team. But yeah, there's a reason they benched him. There's a reason he's not on the starting lineup anymore. It's because like the, like the Steph and Draymond lineups, and even with Wiggins, Wiggins is having a resurgence. Andrew Wiggins like is a good defender because, you know, maybe he got out of fire in his Steve Kerr coach team, perhaps. But yeah. For whatever the people who were still on Wiggins Island, I'm sure they are super, super psyched that they uh, bought that they still have his stock. But yeah, Wiseman is kind of Wiseman should not be in Rookie of the Year contention. Lamelo Ball also not really. Tyrese Halliburton slipping a little bit, slipping a little bit. But I mean, he's a rookie, so you got to imagine that he can't that he might not bring it consistently every night. But I don't know. Any any other rookies who are jumping out to you? I think I know uh, exactly I... who it is. Actually. Oh, I mean, the cell, obviously, but also Isaac Okoro. Yeah. Oh, Okoro I like. My preseason rookie of the year pick, even though I don't think he's going to pull it off. But, like, yeah, he's playing so much more minutes. He was the one guarding LeBron, and, yeah, we talked about how LeBron was, like, making those kind of stuff. Okoro was doing everything he could. Okoro, you could tell, like, LeBron blew by him at some times, which, I mean, if LeBron can do. So LeBron is 36 and Okoro is 19 or 20 or whatever. But... Okoro had, like, the bulk to at least compete with, which I liked. And, like, to go back time and time again and not be like, oh, man, I can't take him. Someone else please guard him. What have you seen from Okoro that you like? Well, he's – I didn't write anything down for the Cavs because they were kind of mediocre. But he's in most of the positive net rating lineups. Yeah? Yeah, and he's not not in really any negative net rating lineups. How how was the defense when he's in – It's phenomenal. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. a good Cavs team is something this league hasn't had for a while. They were... For a while, they won the championship five years ago. Okay, true. And they were in the finals. They went to the like finals three. for four straight years. Yeah. When I say a while, I just mean they, like, became entirely irrelevant after LeBron left. Like, San Francisco Giants level of irrelevant. So, or Texas Rangers now level of irrelevant. But I guess they are a team now, which kind of is crazy to see, but sex land forever, I guess. Yeah. Um, to the Nets who lost back-to-back games to the Cavs. <laughs> tough luck. Really tough luck. Have, you, have we talked about my Nets theory? No, I don't think we have. My Nets theory is that their offense is so good that they figured out offensive basketball, basically, and really can't be stopped. Like, the only thing that really stops them is like sort of like random luck. Like, say the shot goes in, when, even when it was a great shot by a great shooter. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't make it. Like, they've basically figured out offense, so there's not really any progress that they can make on that end. But they're so bad at defense that the team that's playing them can always score on them. And there's nothing that the Nets can do to stop it. Like, they're so bad on defense that it doesn't matter how good or how bad the team is that's playing them. They're always going to score on them. So the Nets are going to get beaten by bad teams and beat good teams, and it's going to be the same Nets team every time. There's no defense that's good enough to stop the Nets, and there's no offense that's bad enough to not score on the Nets. The numbers back you up so much here. With <laughs> with Hard, Harden, Kyrie, and Durant in in the lineup, they have an offensive rating of 117.4 and a defensive rating of 117.2. 
<laughs> unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Like, uh, that's what I've seen every game. It's like every game is within 10 points. I think that since Harden got to the team, they've had maybe one or two games that haven't been, like, super, super close. And it's just because, like, I mean, sure, sometimes Harden or Katie are going to take things over at the end of the game. But, like, when the other team can just drive by literally anybody for a layup on the other end and they know it. And it's not like a young, like, maybe a young team that's, like, a little, you know, scared of going up against these guys just because they're Harden or Durant or something against that, even though they probably know uh, how bad Harden is on defense. Maybe they're a little worried about it. But, like, what are their lineups? Like, Kyrie, Harden. Joe Harris, uh, Kevin Durant, DeAndre Jordan on offense. What do you think the over-under yeah. would be for a Hawks-Nets game? I assume that each team is going to score, like, it's going to be like 140 to 137, right? Pretty sure that's what it basically was when they yeah. first played together. Yeah, like, the Hawks, they're like, that's a spunky young team. I mean, the Hawks, like, DeAndre Hunter actually is good now. Like, he's legitimately good. Cam Reddish, this is, I was wrong on Cam Reddish. He might eventually become a rotation player even if not this year. But the reason we were so impressed with Cam Reddish, he's older than everybody else. Never bet on the guys who are older. Bet on the Patrick Williams's who are younger. That's on Don't me. bet on the Doug McDermott's who, who literally stays 17 years in the in college. <laughs> yeah, Dougie McBucket's actually lasting. Like, McBucket's being in the league now and Tyler Hansborough flaming out so quickly made me a little sad before I remembered that McBucket's can actually... Well, because Hansborough just couldn't shoot and he was very undersized. <laughs> yeah, Hansborough was just like the classic... like. He's like Thomas Robinson in a sense. And then with like Thomas Robinson. I feel Robinson, like it was more, yeah. uh, God, who the heck is it? What's his name? Oh, God. Adam Morrison. I think Adam Morrison could have been good in the NBA. No, he couldn't. Have. I think the reason he wasn't in the school he, was he got slow, hurt. a bad defender, and he was trying to play a big man position at like 6'9. Okay, but like he could have been an okay stretch four right now. What, you think he couldn't like get minutes in Brooklyn's rotation right now if he like came out of college a couple years ago? I don't. <laughs> no? Okay. No. Okay. Yeah. Didn't you say you had a baseball take? Okay, I did say I had a baseball take. We've talked about the Hawks. Yes, the Hawks. Yeah, Clint Capella is great. Uh, DeAndre Hunter is looking pretty real. Reddish is not really. Um, I kind of like everyone in the Hawks, like like six or seven guys they have, which we talked about before the year. Did you have any Hawks lineup takes? Uh, basically, uh, Capella makes the lineup good. Yes, and I think like like, like a thirty-three point net rating swing. Yeah, exactly. Capella's great. Um, yeah, so. I think we should almost like make this like a recurring segment because I think this is maybe a hot take or something, but I think the community fan graphs might actually be the source of some of the most like unique and like, I don't know, what's the most novel content that there is right now in uh, sports writing? Because what you have are a bunch of guys or men or women or whomever, you have a bunch of people, you can't really usually see their names, they're like... Right now, it's MLB Yomi Mono, who's the first guy right there. The next guy is Bill D. But um, back to the topic, who you submit an article that needs to be good enough to be published on Fangraphs' page. You're not a paying, this is not like a paid writer, but it's someone who probably spent like two or three weeks, you know, crafting an article, doing their research in R or Python or something like that, and like actually applying real statistical methods to this kind of stuff. And they just like, well, it's just, just diving into a project like we love to do. It's like just, you know, we met doing this project of basically creating um, a draft value guide for baseball, which doesn't even help in baseball because you can't trade your picks, but whatever. But anyway, like that's the kind of stuff that I've sort of seen on fan graphs. And so 
on the, in the community section specifically. Like these aren't people who are getting paid to push out a bunch of articles, like maybe one or two a week. These are people who like put out maybe one article every few months or so. And so I don't know if I can find it right now, but I remember it for the most part. It's this guy who, I don't know if you've seen this idea before, but it's on totally revamping how baseball is played. Sorry, what? Totally revamping how baseball is played, except not really. Here's, here's it, here it is. When there is a ball that gets put into play, you don't have to stop running until they, I don't know, until, until you're worried about getting thrown out. Okay, what does that mean? That, isn't that what baseball usually is? No. When you get to home plate, you can keep running if the ball is still like somewhere in right field or something like that, and you think you can get to first base. You can I mean, become a new runner. What? You've heard the idea before? I think. It's basically just like you can keep going until they tag you. Yeah, which is sort of like kickball, I feel like. Yeah. Or cricket. It's like cricket. Cricket has some. But here's the idea. The idea is that you know what you you know what all those like old baseball announcers love saying about home runs when like the bases are loaded? What do they call them? Grand slams. I mean, yeah, that too. But they call them rally killers. Well, no, they call so they call solo home runs rally killers. Okay, that doesn't make a lick of sense. But whatever. Well, okay, no, no. no. Well, yes, home. I guess, yeah, I guess more just home runs are rally killers. Yeah, but home runs are not rally killers. Home, they get you runs on the board, which is more than you might necessarily get if you don't hit a home run. But what if you? This is basically making home runs into rally killers. When the ball goes over the fence on a home run, then you can't go advance the next base but this kind of thing would make mlb like you know really value guys who run really fast or are really great at hitting triples or something like that hitting the ball into the gap and yes mlb players like you know Ramon, it sucks. i hate it you you need to stop i hate this oh you my hate god this? <laughs> i hate this tell me why you hate it it's just not baseball that's the only argument that you can make against this. What are you talking about? <laughs> the only argument against this being the new baseball is that it's not baseball. Aside from that, man, this is a great idea. <laughs> but why can't it be baseball? Uh, Because it's been baseball for oh, almost 200 years. Don't you need a little innovation every once in a while? The, the, yeah. I found the article. The title of it is called A Rule, Cha- a Rule Change Idea Too Fun for MLB. That sounds like a CNN headline. Where, like, the Fox News headline would be, stupid idea that will never get passed through. I mean, it, MLB has been doing a lot of stuff, you know, to experiment or whatever. I don't know. Pe- people thought the, in, the intentional walk becoming just, like, being like, hey, I want to intentionally walk that guy wasn't part of baseball. But, you know, it was baseball. The extra runners on, like, the runners during extra innings obviously is insane. But just because, like, you know... If he doesn't feel like baseball, but also it ends games more quickly and creates more exciting stuff, even though it feels a little bit like college football overtime. But wait, don't we like college football overtime? And so also you don't have to keep running. You you just can. And so um, like, for instance, let's say you now have like Ramon Laureano throwing guys out at first. Do you start playing your best armed guys like in right in left field now? Or do you play them in right field? I don't know. I've honestly stopped, like, paying attention because, like, I just don't, like, I really don't want to, like, even entertain this into my mind. <laughs> I implore you. I know this is live on the podcast, but not like, I, live, like, once, crazy, on the podcast. Once I, once this podcast ends and I, and after I go grab my dinner, I will read it and I will tell you how bad it is. I think it's actually a really good idea. Explain, outside of saying, no, it's not baseball, like, 
the old head that you must be. What would you dislike about it actually being like, you know, like if it happened in a game, would you not enjoy it while it was going on? If that's the way that baseball had always been and someone told you that, hey, you know what? Actually, we think people should just stop at home plate. Which would you think was crazier? Which perspective? Your idea, because home plate is where you started. So? So that's where you fit. You can't just like. I know home plate is like where you go home or whatever. This like is going to go on too long. This is what this is my fear. This whole conversation is going to go on too long. I've like I've just said something so controversial that like you, you can't even process it right now. So so blasphemous that we can't even have like a conversation about it. Uh, un- until I read it, I'm then yes. All right, I understand if this isn't quite your cup of tea. Let's see, you know, after you read the article, um, feel you know a little more comfortable with it. Maybe we talk about it next week. Maybe not. I'm sure I I'll, I'll find something else from fan gra- from community fan graphs for next week, but. Can you include a link to this article, like, you know, on on Twitter and on, like, the Spotify and Apple Podcasts? In the description, kind of I'll, in the there description. will be a link to this. Yeah. If, listeners, I am sure that, like, you will probably hate a good deal of it just because it's like, oh, this isn't baseball. But then just, you know, consider the next time if you, like, played a pickup softball game or something like that, if that was part of the rule. And wouldn't that be kind of exciting? Like, the next time you watch a baseball game and, like, you know, there's like a sacrifice fly or something like that. Not that exciting, honestly. Is is a sacrifice fly is one of like the least exciting ways to score a run in baseball, honestly. And like those doubles to the gap where you got the bases loaded. What if like a double to the gap with the bases loaded was worth more than a home run with the bases loaded, or at least possibly? What if like we forced first baseman to actually try to make those kind of plays and to actually have to use their arms sometimes and stuff like that, and to not just be able to make forced plays every time? Isn't that a little more interesting? You, or you can consider, consider Sam's side, yeah, which is, um, that's not baseball. But I want to hear, I don't know, yeah. The it's not baseball thing is probably pretty important. I can't imagine many players getting on board with it. All right, we've talked about that long enough, I think. Um, So next week, we're going to have full baseball talk unless, I don't know, something crazy happens in basketball, which doesn't really seem all that likely. All-star voting is open, so... Uh, all of you guys, please put Christian Wood in the all-star team. If you've been watching him this year, he's clearly the best center in the league. I know that we talked about Joel Embiid and whomever, Jokic, whatever. It's Christian Wood. It's clearly Christian Wood. He's definitely not just like wise men with better stats. Um, so yeah, we will talk to you guys next week. And until then, I don't know, hopefully you get, we get to watch some more basketball on the West Coast. <laughs>